recording on, recording call, okay. Ah, yep, there it's going. All right. We're good. We're golden. So, you're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast with the highest frequency use of the words, you know, spoken by a single podcaster. Another fantastic episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. As always, this is an internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the two most amazing Green Lanterns to ever walk the, well, I guess the four-color comic page. Hello, my name's Sean Engel, and today we're going to be covering a pair of issues covering uh, the third and fourth part of the Gruel of Warfare storyline. The first part's going to be in Green Lantern, number 31, and the second part is going to be in Flash, number 70, which is going to be covered by my extra special guest. This time around, again, I am happy to have Mr. David Walker back on the show. Hey, Dave. Hey, Ian. Thanks Uh, for having me back. (laughs) No problem. Did you have a good week? Yes, it was great. I got to see the new insert program here and lots of other things that movie that was released last week was excellent thank you i agree the thing that we saw that came out in this week that the recording is not happening on was obviously wonderful and good yes that is good and wonderful (laughs) (laughs) uh wibbly wobbly tiny wimey but (laughs) But this is not a Doctor Who podcast. This is a Green Lantern podcast. And we are going to be covering, as I said, the, uh, the two-part uh, storyline. Well, the, actually, the, four, the last two issues of the four-part storyline of Guerrilla Warfare, where big-headed Hector Hammond and, you know, well, obviously, tiny-batched Guerrilla Grodd, because you know, he's not walking around with any pants and you're not really seeing anything, uh, <coughs> are going to be taking on our two heroes and messing him up some. So I'm going to go ahead and, uh, you know, since I don't have any, you know, since basically uh, uh, pulling back the curtain, we just recorded the first issue just, you know, mere moments ago. We don't have any feedback or anything. We're just going to go ahead and blaze right into it. We'll take a break here and play a few promos, and then we'll come back with the coverage of Green Lantern number 31. So stay tuned. If you really wanted being one of your listeners, I could send you an email. <laughs> Technically, I've heard the episode already. That's true. Uh, go ahead and type one up and I'll read it here. <laughs> really? Okay. No.
Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. In a world where planets die, I have come to the conclusion Krypton is doomed. Did I hear him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle. But millions of people will die. Millions! Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero. Every world needs its heroes, Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. And they protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner. One man will rise to the challenge. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a One man will wear spandex. Well, one thing's for sure, nobody's going to be looking at your face. Mom? Well, they don't call them tights for nothing. (laughs) Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at greatcrypton.com. And we're back. Cool. Uh, We are ready here to go take a look at the issue of Green Lantern number 31. Green Lantern 31 was cover dated late October 1992. Its release date was on or about August 25th, 1992. Cover price this time was, as usual, $1.25 US, $1.50 Canada, and 60p UK. The title was Gone Ape. Get it? Yeah. Writer, of course, Gerard Jones, with plot assist by Mark Wade. Penciler was M.D. Bright, inker Romeo Tangal. Letterer, Albert de Guzman. Colorist, Anthony Tolan. Assistant editor, Eddie Braganza. And editor, Kevin Dooley. Surrounded by monkeys. Oh, okay, well, I guess the proper term is apes, but monkeys just sounds cooler. Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, and Wally West, better known as The Flash, do what they do best. They spank the monkeys. Sorry, I had to to get that in. (laughs) I'm sorry, I I wanted to get it out at the beginning of the show. It's out of my system now. I'm fine with it. Okay. The two are making quick work of the gorilla horde until the floaty chair of Hector Hammond zooms in and cold cocks Hal. Wally runs to take on the big-headed freak and gets a laser blast to the back for his trouble. 
Having easily defeated their foes, Grodd and Hammond boast about their prowess, until Rex the telepathic wonder dog leaps on top of Grodd, knocking him over. Grodd flips the canine off of him, and the two square off, preparing for battle. But before they can get to scrapping, Grodd is telekinetically pulled into the air by Hector Hammond, who tells Grodd to stop wasting his time and follow him to the side of the meteor. The two monologue about their various origins, which is a Silver Age trope again, as well as how they need each other to find and use the third meteor piece. Meanwhile, Hal and Wally are trying to get a fix on the direction their foes went in. Wally comments that it was unusual how the rogues attacked the opposite hero that they were used to fighting, and Hal scans for a trace of Hector Hammond's mental impulses. Finding a weak mental signal, Hal rings the crew up in a bubble and flies on the direction of the energy. Cut back to the Bureau of Amplified Animals, Bah for short, get it, where Chief Inspector Bobo is reflecting over his career. Saying that he's not getting any younger, Bobo resolves to take a little vacation, specifically to find Gorilla City in Africa. At the same time, Hal and the crew are following Hammond's weak mental energy signal as Wally tries to wrap his head around a government agency run by mentally enhanced animals. Then, without warning, Hal blacks out and his passengers fall to the ground. Below, Rod and Hammond smile as they've used their mental powers to take down their foes. The duo head out towards the quote-unquote Forest of the Strange, where they encounter curious creatures as well as a reason for their quest, the third fragment of the meteor. Cut back to an unconscious Hal, who's being wakened in a typical dob-tight fashion. He's being licked by him. Hal questions how they survived the fall, and Rex gives a very Silver Age solution to why they aren't all red splotches on the forest floor. Having broken his ankle in the fall, conveniently someone has to break their ankle, Rex's human translator tells Green Lantern and Flash to take Rex and go after Grodd. Wally runs back to the site, and Hal mentions that he had some doubts about Wally's maturity. Wally says he gets that a lot, and shows how some of the weird fauna that he's found in the forest, namely a two-tailed, weird-looking dragon. Thinking that they might be where the villains are headed, our heroes head out, taking Rex with them as they leave a ring construct bell with the injured interpreter as a signal device. Nearing their destination, Wally suddenly stops in his tracks, mesmerized by some force. Rex is affected as well, but Hal shrugs off the mind control of the... Mentalodendrons. <sighs> As Grodd and Hammond attack. Saying that they need more power from the meteor, Grodd goads Hector Hammond into tapping its energy. But the plan backfires as Hammond loses his giant head and becomes a Neanderthal, and Grodd gains all of Hammond's mental abilities. Telepathically bringing a floating chair to support his giant monkey melon, Grodd proclaims himself King of the Apes and the next Lord of Earth. Sadly, the radiation has affected our heroes as well, as the Flash has now had a, has a head to rifle Hector Hammonds, and Hal has devolved into a grunting Cro-Magnon man. Not really far of a stretch in my opinion. Struggling to move under the weight of his own huge noggin, the Flash pleads for Hal not to use the Power Ring. And there you go, issue 31. What do you have to say about this one, Dave? I thought that was kind of fun. That was enjoyable. Oh, definitely. And it, it had some of the Silver Age goofiness, and, but there were some parts in there that I really liked as throwbacks to it, especially some of the stuff with the Flash. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, they, they specifically reference a couple of things. Um, I don't know if they meant to do this for symmetry as well, but when they're doing the flashbacks, it's uh, from, I think it's Hector Hammond's first appearance. Um, he's using, I read this story recently, so I know he's using a, the power ring of Tom Pyphius? Yes. Oh, uh, <laughs> Yes, yeah. uh, Pyphius. They, they basically, he made himself look, or Hal made him look like Green Lantern and gave him a special replica power ring, which ends up in the hands of uh, Hector Hammond, who then uses it to de-evolve Tom into, into a chimp, basically. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's where that's from, since I'm don't think Hector Hammond has a big head there. So no, he's 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 got the normal sort of weird Stanley like head without the yeah. big noggin. So yeah, and then you've got um, Gorilla Grodd, CM Page against Barry Allen. So it's both two characters who look like the heroes in the story, but who are not actually the heroes we're dealing with. So. Oh, that's interesting. You know, obviously yeah. I figured you know Grodd would be fighting the Barry Allen Flash, but I didn't know yeah. that this was Tom Kalamaku that. Uh, sort of ringed up like Hal Jordan. But that's that's neat. That's a neat well, that's a neat Silver Age callback. I also checked out the Flash story for the Gorilla Grodd thing just to see if it was definitely Barry Allen and not Flash and Kid Flash in his old red outfit. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently that's the Ray he's using is a was it a de evolutionizer? Yeah. So that keeps up the entire thing. I think he had planned to use it on Solivar or something to devolve him so that he would be the king of the apes again, uh, lord of the earth, etc., at least in using that. So they're, like I said, keeping up the de-evolution feel to everything. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that. But yeah, um, I've kept quiet. Um, it happened a couple of times in the last Green Lantern issue. They switched the flash symbol. They made it backwards. Really? Is this is this just, yeah. you know, where, am I, where is that? It. Now it's, it goes uh, from the from his bottom right to his top left. Am I am I thinking about that? I'm trying to yeah, bottom right to top left. That's how it's going in some of the yeah, panels. Yeah. Do you see? It it looks like it's been corrected in a couple. Um, but yeah, on the cover, it's him with the. It, it's kind of, I say it's flipped on the diagonal. Basically, mm-hmm. is the best way of describing it, where it goes down to the right instead of back into the left. Okay. I'll try not to do a JFK <laughs> reference here. But, That's okay. Um, yeah, it it annoys me in the green uh, in the Green Lantern issues in the early Wally West, but it becomes consistent. It stays the same throughout the whole of the run up until I think issue fifty, where he gets this shiny costume. Mm-hmm. But it's just in a couple of places in here. It's backwards on the cover, um, and I think on page eight we get it again. Let's just double check. No, yeah, I kind of do see that. And page 14 has it right and wrong. It's where he's uh, super speeding. It's right on the left, and then when you see it uh, on the next kind of um, after image, I guess, it's flipped again. Hmm. Yeah, that may just be... You know, I'm certainly with LaRock and the the artists are doing on the the Flash story. They've yeah. got to they've got to have that done. But you know, since Bright is just not used to drawing a Flash, exactly. it, it may just be a bit of him. It may know, be that he's using old reference as well. Could be. 
Well, was that basically the thing that distinguished Barry from Wally, especially when they were wearing the costume that the lightning symbols had a different angle across their chest? Not at first. In the Teen Titans issues, which I think uh, Romeo Tangal had something to do with, yeah, um, they were the right way around. So it's possible that's why it's only a couple in the issue that are wrong. Maybe he's corrected it at some point. You know, if he's noticed or if it's not going to be too much of a problem to fix kind of thing. But um, basically from issue one, it's backwards, or at least I consider it backwards. It does fluctuate a little, but I think it may have been their way of keeping them different. The only problem is he's wearing Barry's costume. Mm-hmm. So that that's why I have a problem with it. It's the same costume as it's always been. Barry's, uh, it just... Just the, the one thing that annoys me, but I'll, I'll keep quiet again. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. That, the, I, I, I love those nitpicks as well. I mean, it is. it sounds like it's nitpicky, but it's something that if they're going to have a continuity, eventually it's going to, you're going to see it and it's going to take you out of it. It's one of those little things that just hits you wrong. And I, I completely understand what you're getting at. Yeah, it's, it's at least a good way for them to show the difference between the two i think i read someone else on the internet somewhere there was like an article of all the flash costumes and that gets a mention going i don't know why they did this it annoys me and then they move on to the next costume so i just at least i'm not the only one so no (laughs) yeah for for stuff that doesn't involve the costume being iffy um I like that the first thing Flash does as soon as he's ready is just gets the weapons out of their hands. Biggest threat they have. So once that's done, well, that's for them sorted. Especially mm-hmm. since the the weapons conveniently fire yellow energy. Wow, what a surprise. In a Green Lantern book, the the weapons fire something that is completely going to disperse or go right through the Green Lantern shielding. Way to go! Andy, huh? That's 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 never happened. They never used yellow as a trope to to try and foil Green Lantern ever. I mean, that's hardly ever used once in I mean, a once in a long, long time. Yeah, never I mean, I, you saw in the last issue how they had completely planned for Green Lantern to be there. He was obviously going to be there at all times. It's not like I don't know they could have assumed that Gorilla Grodd or that Solvar was going to contact um, Flash once. Uh, Grot escaped you know it's not like Hector Hammond went to Keystone and collected Wally specifically because he needed speed to get there Um, obviously they knew Green Lantern was going to be there they knew Hal was going to show up yeah Yeah, because because basically (laughs) yellow weaponry and then I'm certain once we get into Gorilla City like like it is on Oa everything's yellow yellow. Uh, and that the thing that that boggles my mind and that Oa the, the the home of the Green Lanterns. Everything that they touch is going to mess up their Green Lantern energy. So I, I never got that. Is it possible that, um, I'll try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible, that the yellow impurity in, that is within the rings has somehow seeped out of uh, the central power battery in, I, into the buildings? I don't know uh i don't know whether that that i don't i don't think that's ever been addressed in any of the the storylines where the uh the yellow impurity has been fully addressed but it, it i'm certain jeff johns ever listened to this podcast he will probably retcon it to being the fact of why all the buildings on oh were yellow so but it's pre-52 or pre-new 52 so, so they, they can't go back that far i yeah. mean not not without being part of the justice league issues obviously you know well, that's true 
I mean, I, I still don't get how Green Lantern's history has not changed. It, uh, see, I, I'm wondering, you know, I'm listening to the uh, the Green, what is it? Uh, not the Green Lantern Corps, but the one that Jeffrey Taylor and J. David Weiner, Green, Green Lantern's Light. And they're covering the Green Lantern stories just post-crisis. And from what I'm gathering, most of the storyline post-crisis is continuing as well, aside from the fact that you know the Green Lantern is just like, oh, well, the universe has collapsed. None of their, none of their history seems to have changed all that much either, aside from a certain number of Guardians dying and a certain number of Lanterns dying. So, yeah, I remember uh, hearing the effect on the Batman books at the time was the sky went red. Mm-hmm. That was it, yeah. and obviously the change in Jason Todd would show up then. But yeah, well, it it it. it, it it's. I'm certain a lot of people complain about the fact in the new 52 that some things have radically changed and some things haven't, and that's completely that's completely opposite of what happened in Crisis. When obviously we're speaking about Batman and uh, Green Lantern here, and same sort of thing happened when the Crisis happened. Most mm-hmm. of their stuff continued on. Well, it's because they're popular. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, obviously stuff has changed. It's just. They haven't told us what is and isn't different. Changing the backgrounds for their characters in the ways that they have can't not affect earlier stories because it eliminates certain characters from being where they are at certain times. Mm-hmm. They Basically, they need to keep quiet about it. You know, just say, stuff happened before. Yeah. We it, may get to it, it eventually. It, it, it's, it's shooting themselves in the foot by saying, oh, the crisis never happened because that's... Oh, yeah. That's just going to come back. I am afraid that's going to come back and bite them in some way. Uh, Hawk and Dove, first issue, we get to see a flashback to Crisis when the original Dove gets killed. Mm-hmm. I was just going, but it didn't happen. Don't Well, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go off on a quick little tangent on this. I, sorry, I, sorry. No, no, no. I, I honestly think that a lot of this stuff, although they say that this was planned and they know where they're going, a lot of the stuff is being fiddled with at editorial levels. Uh, not saying that the books aren't good. I've heard really good things about a lot of the books, but I think as an overall continuity timeline change, it wasn't as thought out as maybe Crisis was. And I think that they're going to be having to do a lot of backpedaling here in a while. That's why I wish they would just keep their mouth shut as much as possible. Uh, <laughs> I guess well, it's hard to with the internet age. It, it is, and I and I think I, I think also Didio and Lee and Johns, you know, they they're inundated with questions about what what's going on, and they feel a need rather than say, well, just stay tuned and you'll find out, of giving people specific answers. So yeah, which is in itself kind of nice, you know. You, you you would like to get responses from the people, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again you want to get responses but you don't also want them to have to be held to those responses so that if it does occur one way it messes something up but yeah. uh, this isn't a new 52 podcast we'll we'll let john wilson do that cool sorry no um, no no it's all good <laughs> tangents are awesome yeah they just go past the circle, and if you work out the... No, I can't remember that much math. So I think that's valid. Sorry. <laughs> the tangent to the curve is something. Oh, that's God. as much as I can remember of that sentence. <laughs> I, I dropped geometry, and you know, my adult brain has forgotten all about geometry, so I'm all done with that. 
you never know when you might need it, you know, to, I don't know, build a plane. That's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to what we were talking about then. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, page six again. Um, Grodd looks like he's a kid on the back of a bike when he's riding on the back of Hammond's chair there. Oh, yeah. I love how he's sort of just, you know, just kind of held on to it. Well, of course, Hammond couldn't, like, scooch over or anything or let Grodd sit on his lap all off Santa Claus. I guess that'd be kind of creepy, though. But, yeah. It, just, it looks kind of cute, though. Yeah, They're that's... best friends. Oh, yeah. well, see, that's one of the things. In the images, it looks like they're best friends, but you look from a lot of the dialogue and some of the ways that they're in some of the panels, you get the hint early on that they're, like most supervillains when they team up, they're going to try and screw each other over. I mean, it's hinted at pretty heavily, you know, even on page seven here. You know, that, that last panel where it's like, this is why you need me. Oh, no, no, this is why you need me. You can kind of tell that they're giving each other the, yeah. the old hairy eyeball. And first, first second, I'm turning this chair over and dropping this guy onto the floor, onto the forest floor. <laughs> yeah. Next up, they're traveling in the Green Lantern bubble. Mm-hmm. I like Wally's feet sticking at the bottom. I had that comment as well. That was that was one of the things I thought was awesome. You know, that that's been a that's been a trope in a lot of uh, times where I remember a, a a Bronze Age issue of the Justice League where um, basically Superman, the Flash, and I think Hawkman got trapped in a teleporter accident, and they were this weird alien. And it, it was a, it was up to uh, Green Lantern and the rest of the league to subdue him. And so Green Lantern put him in this cage, and uh, you know the amalgam alien thing broke out of the cra- cage by using the yellow on uh, the Flash's you know sleeve to break through the ring construct jail. So yeah, it's nice here that they put the part of Wally's boots having to be outside the uh, outside the bubble because otherwise it would just flop right yeah. through either way. Well, I, th- I think they have just flopped right through, but it doesn't necessarily look comfortable. You know? Well, that, that's another thing. I understand towing a sphere through the air that's aerodynamic and everything, but that was always one of the things that bugged me about when Green Lantern would pick people up in a sphere because if you've got a group of people and it's actually a sphere, they're all going to slide towards the bottom of the sphere, and they're all going to be bunched up in there. So yeah. unless there's some sort of anti-gravity thing going on in the sphere where they're just kind of floating, that's going to be a real pain. I liked it more when when Kyle would do constructs of stuff, and it would be an actual sort of uh, a jet plane where you had seats, or it was actually like a like a Learjet where you'd have, you know, comfortable seats to sit in and stuff rather than it just be the simple bubble. I understand for simplicity's sake, it's nice, but yeah, for carrying people around, it's a pain in the butt. Yeah. I think for Kyle, it's possibly the artist in him that's doing that as well. You know, he, he can come up with something that nice in a short period of time. So yeah, that, that was the thing about Kyle. He had a bunch, he had a lot more intricacies in his constructs. So that was, that was kind of neat that he didn't just have to have the, the boxing glove or the, the sphere or the pair of scissors that Hal would do. He is, his stuff was about much more intricate. I do like that all of the Green Lanterns kind of have their own kind of specific style. I think John Stewart's the one, he's the architect, isn't he? And he, sometimes they show it kind of being built up yes. as if it were being constructed. I kind of like that idea as well. 
does Guy have anything like that? Or is it? No, I, I think uh, in the Rebirth thing that Johns did, the five issue that led up to the new, well, the new at the time Green Lantern series, yeah. was that uh, Guy was all just, you know, force of will. His stuff was solid uh i don't want to say anger but it was just solid mm. mass of thought you know it, he didn't really put detail into it it was just him coming out and you know being sort of a roughhouse bruiser while you know keep it simple to do the job basically yeah yeah just what do i need to knock this guy out uh and while Hal was the experienced one and he did this more simple constructs and Kyle was the artist who planned everything out and was very intricate and John was the architect who made sure that all of his constructs had weight and could support the uh, the mass that his constructs had so it, it was a neat again giving credit to Jeff Johns yeah it was neat that he took the characters and gave them individual constructs that fit their personalities yeah I think something kind of similar happened in the hero's quest novel where kyle ends up fighting a bunch of aliens who've never seen the things he's creating before so it's another kind of advantage for him i guess yeah you know off on a tangent again slightly no. but it's, it's it's related it's it is the creepy cheetah dolphin or not dolphin <laughs> uh antler thing yeah it reminds me of the wuzzles for some reason it, <laughs> Do you remember that show at all? Do you ever see it? I just vaguely remember Wuzzles. I was, I was thinking this just harkens back to the sort of alien type stuff that you mm. would see in Silver Age Green Lantern stuff, the sort of Gil Kane, John Broom type stuff that yeah. you get. And it looks, it, it's got a really weird feel with the big eyes and the big sort of pointy, almost Vulcan elfish ears and the, the weird antenna coming out. It's a, it's a neat design. And I think, uh, well, I'm certain that's exactly what they were going for in these issues to try and make a callback to the sort of Silver Age stuff. And it's really, it's a really neat design. Yeah, then you get the next page where it's basically a bunch of Pokemon. You know, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that if those guys saw this, this is what inspired the entire thing. You know, we can blame this for the Pokemon craze. Uh, well, yeah, there are worse things <laughs> I could bring. You know, play oh, Lander Four. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I like that, it. That, Sorry, that, I still play the games. That, that that horse there, that's definitely a Ponyta. I'm pretty certain. And yeah, uh, yeah, I see Magic Carp over here as well. Yeah. So. I don't think I've seen the geese things before. Oh, those uh, are in the that's after after the first hundred and fifty whatever yeah. the original show, and they've gotten into the weird ones. I don't care. Anymore. Like I said, I still play the games. The only ones I can remember the names for are the first hundred and fifty. They're the they're uh, that's back when I watched the cartoon, so that's all I cared about. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Like, the rest of them I name. I give them my own name, so I don't know what their actual names are. So yeah, yeah. My kids play the games, and you know, essentially all the all the games past the original ones, like the Fire Red and Black. I think they're up to Black and White or whatever. Yeah. Uh, no, any of the characters, but yeah, they were they were fun. So I'll I'll give it that. You know, Green Lantern mm-hmm. basically came up with Pokemon a few years before Pokemon came out. I will I will attest to that. It is it is truth now because it's on the internet. Hopefully that won't give people seizures like the Pokemon cartoon did, though. Oh, well, let's hope not. Yeah. Also, this page, Grodd looks really happy. Yeah, he does. You know, I was going to say, uh, on, the, on that panel where it's the image of Grodd and Hammond, Bright, he doesn't have animal a- anatomy on down, especially in the face. Now, I know it's an anthropomorphized ape, but, yeah, Grodd's got a 
big old smiley grin on his face. It looks just really wonky. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's just Bright's inability to to do animals anthropomorphized because a lot of his actual images of Grodd when he's drawing him as as a full on shot of gorilla look fine. But yeah, this face here looks really weird. Yeah. Thing is though, I love the um, version of the big brain Grodd. I prefer that to the um, Flash issues one. It, I don't know what it is about it. It just looks nicer, I guess. I, I'm, I don't it, know. It, it 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 reminds me of those. I don't know if you haven't or if you've seen them. The mini mugs, which are the oh, little, yeah. little plastic <laughs> things that have the the. It's they're not bobbleheads. They're yeah, he has the same pose. Yeah, yeah. It, actually, he does. In this, he has kind of a, a mini mug pose, you know, with the the giant head and his hands out like that. So, so inspired mini mugs as well. That's true. So it is it is true. Green Lantern inspired Pokemon and mini mugs. Uh, you know, growing breaking issue here. Exactly. We didn't even know it. Wow. Grodd pulls a Briar Rabbit. He tells Hammond not to throw him in the Briar Patch and goes ahead and does it. Uh, just basically tells him, don't do that. Or no, do do that, and everything will be fine, and then nothing is fine. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you you kind of it was seeded earlier in the issue that the two yeah. were, were try that the two weren't going to work together that that they didn't trust each other as you know supervillains never do. So you knew that there was going to be a betrayal somewhere in the issue, and it just happened to be that Grodd was the one who betrayed Hector Hammond and sucked all his energy out mental energy out and gave himself the big giant head, which I'll, I mean, that is a cool image of Grodd standing there with his giant you know, brain. Yeah. I mean, they both think they're getting one over on the other at that point. You know, he's thinking, okay, if he wants me to take it, it's his decision. So I guess I get all the energy from the meteorite and obviously backfires. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, oh, forgot to mention them. The, what is it? Mentalodendrons. They're really creepy. I don't know if this is a Silver Age throwback, but if it is, yeah. Well, and it also it's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, well, and it also you know harkens back to the whole Pokemon thing. I'm certain there are <laughs> with faces on them that talk to you and can fire sharp blades of grass at you or something. They're probably a grass type, which I'd take my I'd, I'd take my Charizard and just burn them down. But yeah, the the Mentalodendons. I was like, really psychic plants with faces on them this is this is definitely a silver age callback uh definitely but yeah i think the last thing i've got for this is the feral hal jordan at the end it it's really kind of cool it does get the kind of feral look across to you mm-hmm. it's... Yeah, he's he, he's definitely channeling you know his hair wise he's channeling some uh that some x character i know i wanted to say wolverine but it's probably you know like Oh, I can't remember Wolfsbane or something. I can't remember the X. No, um, it reminds me of Wolverine after he gets his adamantium skeleton pulled out. Oh, yeah, it, get the well, uh, but you know the thing is, yeah. he has he doesn't have the bit sticking out the side. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. You you covered basically pretty much all my notes. Oh, only sorry. The, well, no, 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 that's cool. <laughs> only one thing that I wanted to call back to. Was the uh, was the scene where after Hal has crashed and he gets wake up, woken up by Rex, that uh, Rex describes how uh, Wally saved them, and I, I like that. It's a nice sort of again, it's a nice callback to the Silver Age Flash thing where 
Wally propels himself downwards by, I guess, you know, either kicking his legs or whatever. So he falls faster than everyone. And then when he reaches the ground, he spins around and creates a sort of soft bed for the other two to land in based on uh, uh, what he says, leaves and twigs and stuff. So I I thought that was cool. That was a nice callback to the Silver Age. But, you know, I'm also wondering why he didn't just do the tornado thing and sort of create a vortex and slow their descent that way. But mm-hmm. maybe that was just something that he didn't think of at the time and this work. But I, I enjoyed that. This is this was a good issue, had yeah. some really neat Silver Age stuff, and uh, I'm wanting to see how it finishes up here. Oh, yeah, that's the point. Green Lantern 13, the original Green Lantern well, – not the original Green Lantern 13, the original Hal Jordan Green Lantern 13 – it has the cover of making Flash have a big head. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of symmetrical. Sorry, it's 31, 13. Sorry. Actually, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, that, it's just, that does, that does kind of, that is kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't know if they're aiming for that or anything, but. Well, I, yeah. well, I, I never put it past uh, Gerard Jones. I think he put in a lot of subtle stuff in there that if you go back and read it or if you know your uh, comic book history would probably allow people to would allow longtime readers to go oh hey i remember that that's a nice callback so i think i think i think the uh, writers here are a bit more clever than we may give them credit for on just a cursory glance i mean even the couple of issues or the issue before this storyline the olivia Williams was it? Yeah, the one where the with the Green Lantern toys and all that. Yeah, I mean that um, that's from another story by John Broom. It is John, isn't it? Uh, the, the, the whole <laughs> yeah, thing that's a good. Mind I mean, whatever. So no, the the whole thing with the U mind or how she was. Yeah. This had this mental energy that allowed a certain alien race to 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 maintain their life. So yeah, that was. Yeah, I, I tried reading that. I got slightly confused. <laughs> I wasn't entirely sure what was going on. But yeah, it uh, it showed me the pa- kind of pattern that was going on through all the Flash and Green Lantern team-ups. They don't like people who are blue. No. I had a, I had a look at all the, at least the John Broom ones. Um, they always seem to be fighting someone who's blue. Even, there, I think there's a fake um, Guardian of the Universe at some point who's blue. Um, they fight him or something like that. But yeah, they, they don't like blue people. And I think the the antagonists in that are almost different. They only really have blue uh, blue faces, kind of blue gray faces, uh, specifically in that story. But yes, the the point I was trying to make before I went <laughs> off on another tangent was that that's kind of the writers um, them bringing her back just there. Um, it's kind of like them getting ready for this story. You know, they're kind of setting up that they're going to do some things relating back to the silver age and they're testing the water with that one before they go into the crossover yeah well but, that and i guess that's a nice way to sort of gauge whether or not people will be willing to accept in this new modern age of comics you know the sort of not really silly but the not as serious stuff as they're putting forth in modern age and from what i'm gathering and from what i'm reading uh, it's it's all good them harking back to the silver age if if not saying that it actually happened, because I don't know what the continuity of the crisis is, but them actually referencing it is a really nice thing. I, I like that they do that. I like yeah. that they they recognize that there's been a long history with this comic, and they can pull from that every once in a while and bring it into the modern age. 
But I, I'm done with my notes. I'm going to go ahead and say we take a little break here. I'm going to put cool. in a couple of promos, and we'll come back with David's uh, recounting of Flash number 70. Awesome. In the decade of the 1970s and 80s, not even the great city of Metropolis could be spared the ravages of an energy crisis, supercriminal attacks, or disco. The job of protecting the city fell to Superman, whose battle for truth, justice, and the American way made him a symbol of hope for the city of Metropolis. Charlie Niemeyer in association with the Superman Podcast Network, presents Superman in the Bronze Age. Superman in the Bronze Age is a bi-weekly podcast highlighting the Bronze Age adventures of the Man of Steel in various comic titles. Follow along at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com Just once, in a lifetime, does a podcast come along that pushes the boundaries of the medium, that redefines what it is to be an internet radio broadcast that touches us, reaches into us, inspires us, teaches us, that causes us to re-examine just who we are and why we are, that expands our horizons that makes us completely rethink our destiny in this cosmos and our place in the grand design just once in a lifetime. But while we're all waiting for that podcast to be invented, why not give a listen to Hey Kids Comics? Hey Kids Comics is a smart, fresh, and hilarious podcast that looks at all kinds of fun and interesting topics related to the ever-evolving world of the comic book art form. You can find Hey Kids Comics at aplayland.podomatic.com. That's Hey Kids Comics. Sorry. And we're back. So... We've got one more issue to cover this time, and this is issue number 70 of the Flash comic. And to do the synopsis is the awesome podcaster, Mr. Dave Walker. Take it away, Dave. Thank you. Um, Okay, Flash number 70. Release date for this was the best date ever, September 15th, 1992. And it was cover dated November 1992. Cover price was, again, 125 US, uh, 150 Canadian and still only 60p for us here in the UK. Um, writer Mark Wade with plot assist from Jerry Jones. Uh, penciler Greg The Rock. Inker Roy Richardson. Colorist Matt Hollingsworth. Letterer Tim Harkins. Editor Brian Augustine. And assistant editor Ruben Diaz. 
title for this is Guerrilla Warfare Conclusion, Quite a Head on His Shoulders. This time we start where part three of Guerrilla Warfare left off. Flash is lying on the ground, his head enlarged due to the effects of the meteorite radi- radiation, and unfortunately for him, Hal is still de-evolved and pointing his powering at him. We once again get the move-coloured flashbacks as they recap the events of Green Lantern 31. As his body is so frail and his head so big, the big-brained Wally is unable to use his speed effectively and is just about able to dodge out of the way of an indistinct, uh, rain-constructed fist that is coming from the Cro-Mag Hal. Due to the yellow impurity, Hal unsuccessfully tries to get some bananas and ends up bringing a tree down on top of Wally, who then uses his newfound mental abilities to reduce the tree to tiny splinters. The Scarlet Psychic then realises he can use these advanced brain powers to control Hal and utilise the ring to restore them both, so blocks Hal from using his ring by throwing his yellow shoe at him. I mean, honestly, who throws a shoe? Uh, well, it's really it's a boot, but still. Anyways, Wally uses this time to make contact with Hal's mind, imposing his will to utilise the ring in combination with the meteorite radiation to bring them both back to normal. After taking a second or two to regain their faculties, they check out the meteorite, and following a scan from the power ring, they realise that the energies within it are now gone, and they'll be unable to use that to return Gorilla Grodd and Hector Hammond back to normal. Just then, Rex the Wonder Dog interrupts them, which ends up being unfortunate for his friend Danny. While he had been about to remind Hal about the stability of the alarm system that his ring had set up in the previous issue, and just after it dissipates, it kind of would have come in handy for Danny as Cromag Hector Hammond comes in to attack him. Back with our heroes, Rex leads Wally and Hal through the jungle, tracking Grodd, with Hal realising all of a sudden that Rex is talking instead of communicating through his telepathic bars. Turns out that Rex didn't have anything interesting to say, but that's just him making crap up. Uh, turns out that he got some new abilities from the Little Space Rock that also includes Grodd's force of mind, something that might come in handy in taking down the big brain dip. Seems that also, during the previous fight with Grodd, Rex was able to catch a few glimpses of Gorilla City in Grodd's mind, but he's unable to sense it or see it. Wally lets his canine friend know that this is due to an invisible barrier that protects the city, and proceeds to then run around haphazardly until he runs into said barrier. An impatient Hal decides that his ring-created battering ram would be the best way to get into the city and surprise everyone, but they are met by an army of Yips brandishing weapons, with their leader Grodd floating in the chair above them. Wally demands that he tells, tell him where Solivar, the true leader of Gorilla City, is. Grodd is only too happy to oblige and reveals to our heroes that the once great scientist is now his dancing monkey. At least he's wearing a fez now. Fezes are cool. Fezes are cool. Yeah. Um, Stetsons are cool? Not, not as cool as Fezes. Not as no. cool. Bowties, cool. Um, they are definitely cool. I don't think anyone's wearing a bow tie in this either, so slightly off track there. Um, anyway, they ask Grodd about what has become of Hammond in order to distract him, and also to allow us to transition where a surprisingly agile Danny Dennis is being chased by the de-evolved Hector Hammond. Wasn't his ankle broken? Yeah, hmm. I was going to say, you know, he's, he's making it pretty well from this giant hulking Hector Hammond. Considering that, you know, last issue supposedly broke his ankle, or at least twisted it. Yeah, he did something to it. Well, I guess adrenaline and all that. That makes sense. It's it's the only thing I can think of. He does end up walking with a cane by the end of the issue. So, spoilers. Whoops. I mean, I know it's a shock. 
person who's hurt their ankle using the cane, it's, it's going to surprise everyone. I know. Uh, I've, I've ruined the entire issue. I should just stop. Well, that's okay. Well, I, I can't go on. on I'm certain I'm sur- they won't really mind the fact that we reveal that at the end of The Dark Knight Rises that what's named Joseph Gordon-Levitt is actually Hal Jordan. Yeah. Uh, I know, I know it's, it's, it's a shocker. It's kind of a big spoiler. Well, I'm glad that they're carrying on the continuity, or they're mm-hmm. trying to broaden the continuity, and I, I would love to see Nolan do a Green Lantern movie, but I that's mean, neither here nor there. The real shocker was Gary Oldman turning out to be Barry Allen, after all, and getting dressed up in the Flash costume. I thought uh, that was surprising. He, he, he really personified the character, I thought, and he did a great Flash, in my opinion. One of the best. okay meanwhile the emerald gladiator and the scarlet speedster are hiding beneath a dome of green energy which is protecting them from god's attack while the other apes apes look on luckily their distraction has been enough for rex to get behind god and he knocks the enhanced ape from his high perch and frightenstein animal style copyright andrew leyland ensues with their master otherwise occupied, the denizens of Gorilla City now have to face the might of the Flash and Green Lantern. While Rex battles Grodd with his force of mind, Wally blocks the barrels of the apes with bananas and bucks them on the heads with coconuts. Then, using a reconstructed shovel, Wally digs a large pit, which Hal then herds their foes into using a massive green elephant. With that taken care of, they go to join Rex, but they are beaten there by Bobo. He arrives just in time to save an apparently unconscious Rex by jumping on God's back. Yeah, it's terrible trying to get that monkey off your back. <laughs> but yeah, this earns him a place in a telekinetically formed net, but this is quickly dispersed by Wally's left foot impacting God's head. Wally checks on Rex, who, now that he's recovering, tells Hal to restrain the evil yet, while Rex himself dampens God's mind dampens Grodd's mind, which pretty much means he lobotomizes him. Nice. We finish with an epilogue. With the apes of Gorilla City now freed from Grodd's control, we see Bobo chillaxing on a hammock while some ape girls feed him grapes and stuff. Don't want to mention anything about them holding his coconut for him. Hot monkey love. <laughs> We're not getting back into that again. <laughs> back to the Discovery Channel? No. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Meanwhile, Solvar chats with Hal and Wally about the rehabilitation of Hammond and Grodd, now that their intelligence have been, intelligences have been greatly reduced. Uh, before we cut to actually see the villains operating the strange machine that rewards them with bananas. Hal, Wally, Danny and Rex say their goodbyes, and they leave on a powering constructed platform, with Danny telling them that since Rex still has Grodd's force of mind, when Rex wants out, he better let him out. <laughs> Everyone laughs as they fly off into the distance. Uh, it's a nice, uh, like I said, they're they're obviously harking back to the Silver yeah. Age, and it's nice that they end <laughs> on a sort of goofy where all the guys sit there laughing. I mean, that's that is pretty much a silver and uh, up into the Bronze Age trope. That at had the Superman end the couple, been there, he would have been winking at the camera. That's true. Oh, if only we could have had Superman in this issue winking at the camera. That would have been awesome. <laughs> but yeah, the. It, it's a nice conclusion, and it, it, this one has some really good Silver Age stuff in it. I, oh, yeah. I, I like that they're paying tribute to to Broom and the idea of the Silver Age. It, Was it's, there a reason behind that? I, I, I honestly know. couldn't find anything. It, I, it seems like it's just we like the guy's stuff. We just wanted to do something that 
kind of. I don't know whether this has been an anniversary of something or whether or not, because uh, I don't know whether Broom is still alive. I haven't done my research. 1999. Okay, so this wouldn't even been a- around the date of his passing exactly. or anything. So it is it is odd that they do decide to go back to the Silver Age and kind of uh, celebrate that, but I don't mind them doing it. It's fun, and I I'm I'm glad that they have books in there that they're willing to actually take and look at that stuff and kind of bring it into the new continuity and do it upright. I mean, the closest I could find to it was basically, I think he's broom started working for DC in and around 1942 ish, you know, something like that. That's 50th anniversary. Maybe that's the closest I could get, but it's not even the same month or anything. It's nothing like that, which could have been something they could have planned for, but yeah, well, uh, it's still nice. There's regardless, it's really yeah, it, it it's it's a good callback to it. And you know, if there's not if there's not a specific date or reasoning behind it, it's just nice that they had a callback to it. Yeah. So Let's, you have your notes, yes? Yeah, I'll go ahead and go ahead and with my notes. Uh, uh, the cover, I really like uh, Larocque's artwork. Uh, he's got Hal and uh, Wally down really good, and I also like the fact that. Larocque seems to be better suited to draw animals. The apes on the oh, on yeah. the cover here look a lot more ape-like. And uh, when uh, Bright was drawing them, they had more humanistic characteristics. These look like growling, snarling animals. And of course, you got big-headed yeah. Gorilla Grodd there on the cover. There, they also have their own kind of face as well. I don't. They 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 do look very different. Mm-hmm. There's uh, not there's not one uniform uh, just monkey face. They all look different, which is nice. And you know, Grodd I, looks really creepy as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Grodd, Grodd's got that sort of uh, looking down uh, where the light's shining from him and his head's kind of dark, and it's got that nice nice look to him. And he's he's sitting there. He's he's also got that sort of squatting look. He's in Hammond's chair, it looks like, but he's yeah. got that sort of squatting down on uh, – uh, the, the, well, the, uh, I'm losing it. He, he's got that squatting appearance. So it's yeah. it's a nice look. I like it words use i sometimes yeah sometimes <clears throat> word repeats yes repeats 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 <laughs> uh page one uh it's kind of creepy that uh glenn danzig is attacking uh wally there i <laughs> didn't know how how he got into a greenland costume but there it is page three panel four here's a kind of uncomfortable shot we see the flashback of where the um, meteor goes all completely, <laughs> and we've got Hector Hammond there de-evolving, but it also looks like Hector Hammond might also be passing a little uh, banana residue there. He he looks like he might be squatting yeah. down for a little bathroom break there. Sorry, I just noticed what you were going for there. When you yeah, <laughs> well, he's he's there and he's got his fist balled up and his face is all grimaced and he's got his legs yeah. spread apart and you know it looks like he's trying to get out the most massive number two that he possibly ever could oh it's so nice <laughs> uh we got here page six panel one it's good to see uh wally using his overly enlarged brain to throw his boot at at hal so it covers his ring I guess that's another one of Silver Age tropes where yeah. yellow affects the ring. Well, it's not a Silver Age trope, but the fact that Wally has the yellow boots, 
that I'm surprised that they aren't actually part of his costume. I like the fact that they aren't just sewn into his costume. They're actually boots that he has to put on. Yeah. And he throws that on his ring to make sure that Hal can't use it. That's a nice nice little thing there. Um, then on the next page, page 7, panel 1, as the two come out of their de-evolution, hyper-evolution, we get uh, Hal saying, Aru, and all I can think of is that... <laughs> That he's channeling Tim the Toolman Taylor right there. So yeah. would that have been honoring this time? No, I think that didn't come out until the late nineties. No, Home Improvement was on the air in nineteen ninety one. Sean, you are completely clueless. Yeah, who knows? Um, well, the internet, but yeah. Yeah, well. Uh, if anyone's really curious, www.imdb.com. Exactly. That'll help you out. IMDb is the source of all information dealing with television and movies. Probably <laughs> is correct information, but there you have it. Closest you're going to get. It's true. Uh, let's see. Oh, here we get that uh, Rex comes up and finally starts talking to uh, Hal and Wally, just saying, oh, uh, I could talk all this time. I just didn't feel like saying anything. Well, well, thanks. That would have helped us out quite a bit. Thanks, Rex, for holding Rex for holding back on us. You know, and it's also here convenient that, oh, well, now with the the meteor exploding, and I got some of the energy too, and I've got the uh, power, uh, or I've got uh, Grodd's power of mind, which will come in uh, obviously effective to uh, taking him down. So there's plot device put right there. To be honest, Grodd enhanced his in a similar way at one point he uses telepathic powers to take it from solivar at one, uh, in one of the early issues uh, it was something silly like that he, he extracted the information and was able to use it then to take over gorilla city i think it was the first appearance actually come to think of it way back when so it's another kind of link to the silver age there well, uh, that's that's great. Um, like I've said before, it's great that they're referencing the Silver Age, especially in this modern age, and they're not they're not shying away from it. it, it the nice little subtle hints at it is always nice to hear. Yeah, they're they're treating it with respect as well. They're not saying, "Oh, this is silly." They're it's completely straight. No, and and a lot of the stuff could be considered talking monkeys, talking dog, a guy with a giant head on a floaty chair. All of this stuff could be really looked on as goofy and silly and throwaway, but they're treating it with a lot of respect and they're giving the characters actually in some in some parts of it kind of menace. So I'm enjoying that out of it. Uh, going to the big two-page splash in there, uh, I, again, I have to harken back to the idea, where did Gorilla City get their architectural design? Uh, did they call up the Guardians of the Universe and say, hey, what color are you planning on painting your buildings? Oh, oh, oh that's a good idea. I think we'll paint our buildings yellow, so if ever we get attacked by a Green Lantern, he will be completely and totally ineffectual. All we'll have to do is hide the buildings and it will be completely boned. It's a bit too early for Coldplay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> let's try not to reference Coldplay ever again, sir. Please. Sorry. <laughs> you can you can edit that bit out. No, I'm, I'm uh, now I'm effectively going to put you know yellow in the in the because we need to listen to a bit of Coldplay. Yeah, they were all yellow. I came along. I wrote a song for. Called yellow. So that- 
It'll make you appreciate the other songs more. Oh, I'll give you that. Well, I, I'm not completely down on them, but Yellow just... That song got annoying after a while. Yes, it did. Overplayed so much. Well, that's the way most music is day. You'll have a good song, and you'll be like, oh, I really like this song, until you hear it in constant rotation on your top 40 pop music thing, and then you're just like, if I ever have to hear this song again, oh, I will kick a puppy. Uh... Moving on with notes again, page 14, panel one. I love the reference of, you know, Grodd yelling, well, telepathically thinking, kneel before Grodd. (laughs) It would be awesome Uh, if Grodd were to uh, take over planet Houston. That'd be cool. I I knew he said it at some point when he showed up. I didn't know if it was going to be in here or if it was in the previous appearance or in his next appearance, but I love the fact that he says that. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's it's a nice reference and it it works as well and, and it's it's another it's another idea of the writers of the book taking pop culture references especially comic book pop culture culture references and putting it in there and taking it with a bit of humor and a bit of seriousness as well it works really well uh next page panel or page 16 panel four We've got the whole Eddie Murphy thing of, oh, if you just stick a banana in their gun, it's going to completely completely debilitate them. So that They fell for the banana in the tailpipe. And they fell for the banana. Again, you didn't think they'd fall for the banana in the tailpipe thing yet. Uh, They need an anti-banana disguise. (laughs) Oh, good times. Uh, Back when Eddie Murphy was funny. Uh, oh, if I could only remember the days when Eddie Murphy. It's so long. It's been I know. so long. Uh-huh. Um, page 17, you know, that bottom panel, we've got some unfortunate sounds as I don't know what's going on, but we've got the sound of flap, flap, flap going on. And I think <laughs> uh, the fact that there's monkeys around and they might be spanking them. Oh, Maybe that sound effect is appropriate, but I'm not certain if that's the case here. Yeah, you, you probably don't want to talk about it. I mean, it's a pretty massive elephant in the room. I mean, <laughs> oh, that was a horrible pun, sir. Sorry, <laughs> I, I like horrible puns. I blame the Batman TV show for that. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it, that's where I've got it from. It, it's fine. It works. <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. Oh, okay, wait. Uh, and then uh, monkeys, you know, uh, monkeys everywhere. It's awesome. Uh, finally, I guess my final uh, note on this is on page uh, twenty-one or page twenty-two, panel one. After Grodd and Hammond, who've been pretty much lobotomized, find the button that they have to push. We'll get the bananas. They're all excited, 
and they do friendship five and and yeah in a night yeah well and it's almost sort of anime style where it ends with them high-fiving and a big sort of they got the motion lines around it but but high-fiving that yeah that's just really ridiculous but uh, but fun nonetheless it also means that the entire the the entire storyline everyone ends up happy including the villains that's true i never really took that into account everyone they don't get what they want they don't get world domination but in the end they're happy with how they how things end up so i think that's that's also a nice you know call back to a silver age trope where even though that the villains may not succeed that they end up you know happy with what happened to them you know so that's it's a good way to end the issue okay yeah. do you have uh go ahead and we'll hit you with uh, your notes yeah, um, page five, Wally calls half a tree falling on him branches. They're not branches, it's half a freaking tree. That's true. Uh, Hal did pretty much slice that one tree on him. Yeah, yeah. it's not It's not branches. Yeah, there, there are a few leaves falling as well, but yeah, that is a large portion of tree getting ready to fall on, on the speedster. I mean, I do like the fact that the ring energy itself is really kind of... It's, it's not as distinct as it was. It's not straight lined. It's all wavy and stuff. And I mean, obviously going for bananas, that's what every Neanderthal person wants. Bananas but... and coconuts and women to drag by their hair. And since you know, there are no women currently here, the bananas are the thing he has to go for. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see what's next. You already covered the awesomeness of the shoe being used. So... I, I didn't mention though, however, when when Hal used the or when they used the ring to to either re-evolve or de-evolve themselves back to normal, that it also gives uh, Hal a haircut. He doesn't have the uh, the big rocker hair anymore. He's back to his styling. Uh... Well, that's how he got the hair in the first place. Okay. So I guess I guess it kind of works, but he did kind of look better with the longer hair. Oh yeah, he looked very nineties. Yeah, I mean, all he need would be a couple of guns strapped to his back, some. Uh, bandoliers is that the right term strapped to him and tons of pockets in fact like a a a pocket belt going right up across his right upper thigh that'd be perfect uh also a uh, thigh holster yeah you know just to kind of keep the theme going because he needs more guns obviously you know that that could work have we just turned him into cable (laughs) essentially yes well no cable didn't have no cable i'm trying to remember cable's hair design I don't remember if he had. It that. was it was all white, so he's he's kind of part of the way there. Just the he's, he's got the streak. Yeah, but yeah, Danny, Danny on the next page, he's gained a bit of weight. Page seven. Yeah, well, you're sitting there for a while. You've got nothing to do with your broken ankle. You're probably gonna chow down on some whatever there is in the forest. I guess bananas. Bananas. Maybe coconuts. Yeah, yeah uh, Hector Hammond. He looks freaky too. Uh, yeah. He, he looks. He almost looks like a, a sort of Kirby-esque type uh, monster character, like, kind of like the Mole Man. I'm thinking. Yeah. Just All he needs is the run into Captain Cold, and he'll be set. <laughs> exactly. They have the same glasses, or uh, is it meant to be uh, eye protection or something, or 3D glasses, or so? I, I can't remember the origin of it for the, for the Mole Man. I think it was because he. Uh, had that pit of diamonds that would basically blind you, and he wore the glasses to protect his eyes from the diamonds. But and yet he goes up on the yeah. planet and still wears them. 
Yeah, well, I, I think also living subterranean, his eyes uh, mm-hmm. were able to take in more light. So uh, it, uh, we can talk to Andrew and Stephen about that. They can cover that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently the best way to find something is to run about in a crazy pattern and just hit it. Yes. And you've got to you've got to fear also while he's moving at super speed. If he hits an invisible force field, you, you don't want to run so fast, or he's going to basically pulp himself. And you know, it, it's it's a good idea in theory, but yeah, when you actually hit the force field that you're looking for, you better hope that it has like some elasticity or isn't like just like a solid yeah. object. Yeah. And a couple of panels later, we get Knock Knock. I don't think that has anything to do with the Indigo tribe, but you never know. Maybe that's where Jeff Johns got the idea for it. That could be. Wally may be trying to communicate with the Indigo tribe right there. Yeah, maybe trying to appeal to the compassion of the monkeys who are behind an invisible barrier. Mm-hmm. Right? They may not be able to see in, but it's entirely possible everyone in the city can see out. Yeah. It's more than likely they can see out. So it's pretty odd. There could be everyone waving on the inside at them. Hi, hi, <laughs> and nothing. It's pretty then, obviously you can see out because they are well prepared to uh, <laughs> fire upon our heroes as soon as Al smashes through the invisible barrier. Yeah, and there they are in all their glory with the yellow buildings, which, mm-hmm. yeah, I, very convenient. I mean, even their weapons fire yellow energy. The weapons that they don't use, they're standing there under the shield. Yeah, well, I don't get it either. Again, this may be one of those Silver Age things that just go with it. They should keep it consistent. Maybe the the best reason I can come up with is that Grodd is focused, so he's not telling them to attack, so that they don't. Makes sense. But, yeah. Why is that? PG-18, I think is my next note. Grodd's crazy-ass-looking face. It's quite scary looking. Oh, yes. Grodd does look very menacing. And it's interesting because in the panel just before that where he and Rex are staring off, he's just got the typical big-headed gorilla thing. But in this one, he's baring his teeth, and it's really pretty scary. I mean, yeah. you've got the idea that he could take down Rex you know, mentally, but here it looks like he could, you know, if he had to have a fight with him, he could go through him as well. That's a, that's a nice image of uh, Gorilla Grodd there. I'm assuming that's what Rex is referencing when he says he goes berserk. He, he mentions that, I think, on the next page or a couple of pages later. You know, he says, nearly had him until he went berserk. So maybe that's what happens here. He just kind of, okay, I'm not having any more of your crap. Uh, I'm going. Yeah, well, he, 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 I guess he knew that he could take, that they could fight mentally, but Grodd had one up on him that he could actually call on his whole gorilla instincts and actually take uh, Rex down that way. Oh, yeah. Um, Bobo is the only one who looks on in horror as they lobotomize Grodd. He's he's the only one who's worried about it. Everyone else is grinning happily. Yeah. Yeah, even but, is like, yeah, we got him. But yeah, Bobo. He's, he's kind of smiling. But that that's that's kind of an evil thing to do. I mean, if you were to do that to a villain, right, say you just erased his mind completely, you know, Maybe he did something really terrible, like um, maybe he attacked someone's wife. That that would be that would still be something bad to do. You'd get rid of him somehow, but maybe get him in prison. That would be fine. I mean, th- they could take care of him in this prison, probably. 
I mean, they were able to take care of Hammond when he had the energy in his mind and the big brain and everything. So mm-hmm. what stops them from doing that with him? Yeah, well, but it's it's kind of unusual for DC to do anything about people lobotomizing people because they do something wrong. I, I don't think anything like this would ever come up again. No, no. I mean, if they started doing it to the heroes, who knows what would happen? Yeah, that's true. I But I can't see that ever happening in the DC universe. The, this is just a, a one-time anomaly. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I think my last note is I like how Wally's taken off his boots so he can stand on the not-spherical platform-shaped Yes, I'm platform. glad. I'm glad this time it is a platform, but then also it is one of those things where they're going to fall off. Yeah, logistically. Well, and he's pulling him through the sky at really high speeds, and there's no railing or anything. I don't mean to harp on safety features, but they're standing on basically a platform that might be what oh, I'll say eight feet across or eight feet in diameter, and they're flying out over the Atlantic Ocean. One small slip, and they're they're gone. So. It's one and of those Wally's things. taken off his boots, you know, the things with the grip. Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> so he's pretty much in his socks, which yeah. if you're on a flat surface, you're in your socks, you're going flying. Exactly. Well, especially if pals pull him around at, say, well, even if he's going at air, airline speed, a couple of three, four hundred miles an hour, well, obviously faster than that. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a feasibility problem. Yeah, but just yeah, a little. I, I, I I really enjoyed these issues. It was a nice callback to the the works of John Broom, and they did it lovingly, and they did it with a lot of care and a lot of attention to detail, and they also made it fun, which is one of the things that I see f- not often enough in modern comics. Comics should be fun, and these comics excelled in that. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, I was trying to look at ads. Did you want to want to check some of the ads out? Yeah, and the the past couple of issues have kind of all been the same. Yeah, I don't get the Kai. The what? There's a Kai advert somewhere. I think it's is it still in the Green Lantern issue? Yes, in the Green Lantern issue, we have a Kai advertising the Final Fantasy game. Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Yes, I, I I had that a couple issues ago with the cow. Oh, yeah. Even the farm animals know someone is coming. And I had to make a, a horrible Scottish farmer reference. But Yeah, uh, I don't get the Kai. I've played the game, I think, a long, long time ago. The, I don't remember there being anything about cows. The only game that I know that has references to cows is... I think Diablo 2, where they have a cow level where you go to the secret door and you go to this level where you just fight hordes of hordes of cows. But yeah, I don't get the cow either. Zelda has cows show up, but the best use of cows in a video game should be awarded to Earthworm Jim 2. Where the game. Have, have you completed Earthworm Jim 2? I have not completed that game. I need to go and and find that. I need to go to that website and, that has the Sega emulated games and go play that because that is fun. Do you want me to spoil the ending? Uh, sure. It's not that it's major, but it's um, very basic. Um, and so our hero Earthworm Jim has rescued Princess What's Her Name and defeated the evil Psycho. And there, this is the text on the screen, and you've got the three characters standing there. All of a sudden, Princess Watsonian pulls a zip, and suddenly she's a Kai. <sighs> then text changes, and so our hero, Earthworm Jim, has rescued Princess Kai, 
or has rescued the Kai and defeated the evil Psycho, followed by another zip, and Psycho is a Kai. And so our hero, Earthworm Jim, has rescued the Kai and defeated the evil Kai, followed by another zip. And so our hero, the Kai, has rescued the Kai and defeated the evil Kai. I love those games. Oh, those were hilarious. I, I just remember the evil bad guy throwing puppies out of the uh, like the barn, and you had to go catch the puppies uh, yeah. and bounce them into the... Oh, that was so much fun. I, I still have that song stuck in my head. Every once in a while, it just comes in, and we go, okay, I've got to catch puppies. I mean, it's used in other things. It's I don't know if it's the same as a specific song, but it's very similar to... Um, what What song is it? I'm trying to avoid singing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, go go right ahead. But it's da 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 da. Oh yes. Da, da. Yeah, and so and they're pointing everywhere, and uh you're trying to catch all of them so that Peter doesn't turn into the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, they're so much fun. Oh, definitely. Uh, they've got a another uh, ad in here in the Flash issue for a a rock band that was hot in the '90s, Ugly Kid Joe, and they don't oh, even yeah. they don't even feature their they said featuring the smash hit neighbor. I don't even remember that song. All I remember is the I hate everything about you and their cover of Cats in the Cradle. So eh, whatever. Yeah, it's pretty much all I remember. It's it's kind of rare to see music, or at least it's rare for me to see bands and stuff advertised in comics. Or at least it's forgettable, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, sadly a lot of these bands at the time were forgettable. Um the only other well, okay, there's another one. They've got a an ad for the Batman Adventures comic, which is based on the Batman the Animated Series, which had awesome art by, oh, not Ty Templeton, but uh, Mike Parabek. And, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the, these were the I, – I just finished up reading uh, – when I was on vacation, I picked up some comics, and I picked up some of the uh, JSA uh, comics from around this era where Mark Parabek drew it and – I can't wait to read some of those. Parabex art was awesome. Hey, Sean. His first name is Mike, not Mark. You must be some sort of f***ing idiot. But the... I guess the big one they've got here is the image for Doomsday is coming for Superman. Oh, it's yeah. the teaser with the with the with either the weeping or the bleeding ass and the white cutout image of this weird-looking alien thing that... I don't know. Does he do anything? Is he important? I mean, uh, Doomsday, I'm assuming he has something to do with nuclear holocaust. What? What's his deal? I don't know. I, he might have something to do with, let's see, it says the never-ending battle ends, so maybe they're doing Superman, the never-ending battle ends. Okay. You know, that, that, that could be the title. Um, okay, well, you know... I, hmm. Uh, he's probably just some sort of throwaway character that really doesn't do anything. I mean, it, it's it not like he'd be a trope or anything, you know, like no. some kind of overused 90s character that just keeps coming back when he should have, I don't know, stayed as a one-off character that did his job and went away. No, I don't think DC would do anything like that. Yeah, Marvel neither. They no. wouldn't do anything like that either. No, they're they're far too clever to do that. But other than that, these were awesome issues. I really enjoyed doing it. And and Dave, uh, I want to say thank you for coming on to do this. Uh, I Like I've told you before, I love listening to your podcast. I'm glad that we could get together and do this. That's no problem. I really had fun. Thank you for having me on. This is my first actual multi-person podcast. 
well, I guess. So. Yeah, you know, this is actually my second. Sorry, my second, my second multi-person podcast. Yeah, um, the the two-parter. You know, last week's episode was my first. Yes. Oh yes, <laughs> uh, I, I I forgot about that one that we did last week. Yes. Uh, but uh, David, thank you for coming on. Uh, go ahead and tell people where they can find you on or about the internet or on or about you know wherever else. Well, apart from writing into various podcasts, um, you can listen to me ramble on about the Flash issues from, let's see, it's 1986 onwards, uh, along with, um, let's see, pretty much any issue where Wally shows up. So uh, that's over at flashlegacies.libson.com. Just pop over there and you can listen to me. Uh, That's really about it. Um, I don't really do much else apart from what I do regularly. <laughs> well, that's awesome. D- Dave, again, thank you for being on the show. Uh, I will definitely have you back for the later issues where Wally comes back in the Green Lantern. And especially yep. when it comes back to, you know, for the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern, because I can't wait oh, to yeah. get that stuff. Out. But he's uh, my favorite. I'm uh, sorry. I just, I love Kyle. He's no, uh, Kyle is definitely one of those ones that clicked with a lot of fans uh, in the nineties. And, it is kind of disappointing that he's kind of been relegated to a secondary character with Howell being the 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 big green to do Green Lantern. So I, I really want to I really want to put an emphasis on Kyle when we get to him, and I can't wait to have you back on the show. That's no problem. I am actually enjoying Kyle's title, uh, New Guardians, which mm-hmm. is nothing to do with uh, um, other New Guardians. Um, <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying that a bit more than the uh, regular Green Lantern title with Sinestro and Hal. It's okay, I'm enjoying it enough, but Kyle's more fun. It's got it's got a kind of more epic feel to it for me, but awesome. anyway. Well, thank you again, Dave. I appreciate you coming on the show, and I'm going to call it a night slash day slash whatever, and we will catch you all next time on a, another episode of Just One of the Guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Engel. All images, stories, and music are copyrighted through respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot libson, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting in. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast, and be sure to leave a review there. I'd love to read it on the next show. You can search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there, because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to want to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening. And come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast.
The opening music for today's show was Shock the Monkey by Peter Gabriel, off his album Peter Gabriel 4, Security. As usual, I would love it if you guys would go to the Two True Freaks website at twotruefreaks.libson.com, click the Amazon banner at the top of the page, go to amazon.com and download this song, download the album, or buy the album from there. You can also find a myriad of other things that are all monkey-related on Amazon.com. But if you ever plan on using Amazon, please, please go to the Two True Freaks site and use the icon there to get to Amazon. It helps Scott and Chris keep the show running, and that definitely is a good thing. I'd also like to give thanks to my very special guest, Mr. Dave Walker, who came on and helped me out with these past couple of shows. Dave's a great guy, and you guys should definitely be listening to his podcast, Flash Legacies. Check it out on iTunes, or go to flashlegacies.libson.com and download it there. Dave, thanks again for coming on the show, and I'm sorry I made you miss the season premiere of Doctor Who. My bad. <laughs>